best. And that's what track and field is all about. For five. There's no open certain 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 certainly. Like, it's not consuming me like yeah, 24-7. I, I gotta be patient. I'm still patient. <laughs> Hi, welcome to the year anniversary of Price of a Mile. I started this podcast in Albuquerque, New Mexico before USA Indoors with an interview with Evan Jager on Ryan Hill's Chromebook. And uh, we're still doing it a year later. Uh, Fortunately, I'm looking to get some sponsors for the show so that I will have to put this out consistently and like clockwork. So that's best all around. And another thing, just clearing house here before the show starts. I have a new co-host on the podcast. His name is Chris Derrick. He's been on the show before. I'm sure you guys all know who Chris Derrick is at this point. Uh, but he is a teammate of mine on Bowerman Track Club. He has a quirky analytical brain. Chris has a distinguished running career, to say the least. Now, our guest today is Kate Grace, one of the new members of Bowerman Track Club. She is a 2016 Olympian in the 800. She won USA's that year. She has a, a inspiring running career where she didn't always get what she wanted, but she stuck with it and, and she really uh, toughed it out. And she's now an Olympian and she's been running out of her mind for the last few years and only looks like she's getting better. Just last week, she was second in Milrose to uh, right behind her teammate, Colin Quigley. So she'll be running USA's next week. Make sure to follow her on Instagram at FastKate. Again, this is Price of Mile with Woody Kincaid, Chris Derrick, and Olympian Kate Grace. Enjoy. Welcome to the Price of Mile. Today we're joined by Kate Grace and Chris Derry. Well, she's the newest member of Bowman Track Club. One of the newest. One of the newest. You want to introduce to the people your resume? That's no. what you wanted to do earlier. No, it's not what I was going to do at all. <laughs> I'm Kate. I'm happy to be here in my b- boyfriend's office. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Sorry. 2016 Olympian, Kate Grace, here with... Woody Kincaid and Chris Derrick, not Olympians. So if you can't tell, this is the second or third time we've tried to interview or start this podcast, but uh, we're finally on track. We're ready to go, right? Yes. Okay. Firing on all cylinders. So your personal life on your Wikipedia page is pretty interesting. Uh, yeah, the only thing it says on your, on your Wikipedia page under the personal section is that Grace is the daughter of 80s fitness instructor and entrepreneur Kathy Smith, uh, which is interesting in that one it specifically says 80s um and i did i did look up a video and it it says kathy smith fat burning workout classic 80s and it was very classic 80s um so one did her career just end in 1990 the berlin wall fell or whatever and she was she was out and two was that an unusual upbringing like did that in did did you know did you know at all that that was like not a normal job to make very popular videos teaching people how to get fit as far as the 80s question, I, well, I should go and like edit Wikipedia because there is probably more things that I could add to my personal 
what's it called? The personal personal, personal life. Personal I think life. I could do that after this. <laughs> yeah, seriously, all the all the research you've done. It's not cool to edit your own Wikipedia page. No, no, it no one would ever know. I think it's a cardinal right? sin. How would they ever know? I have several questions about how it works when you write in if they can. What's it called when they can? IP address, if they mm-hmm. can track the IP address to your actual computer or just to your location? Uh, there, there, there is a bot that tracks when Wikipedia is edited from Congress because they want to see when politicians are like <laughs> trying to scam the people. So apparently you can, you can track the IP address to an actual location. But they couldn't track it to like me. It would just be the right. Portland, Oregon generic. Okay. okay. So I can still edit would, it yeah, you're in right. anonymity. But why? Anyway, uh, well, editing because well, it's I could add more and it's wrong. I'll kind do of. it. I'll do it for you. Kate. We'll do it right after this. <laughs> no, well, her career didn't end in at 1990. Um, she's made videos for. She, I don't know. She's like made. She's got a longer over page sixteen than million videos sold. Okay, many yeah. many videos for over a period of decades, um, and but I think probably if you were to like look at the videos, kind of the colorful spandex, it's late 80s, early 90s is like the period when it was most popular. And there's no, a pregnancy I video saw, that... It's the, 80s. Pre- the pregnancy video? No, I saw the picture. It's... Well, it's she has more, 80s. she has like more recent videos that aren't straight 80s, but that said. Um, and yes, then like one of the famous <laughs> ones is a pregnancy video in which I'm in the belly and they're all in colorful spandex doing calisthenics and aerobics, um, which is fun. Tidbit. That said, was it weird? Uh, not really. Any kid, like you don't, I don't think any kid really knows what their parents do, or at least for me, it wasn't that abnormal. Growing, I grew up in LA and the entertainment business is pretty big there. So it's actually pretty common to have like friends whose parents do kind of less traditional jobs. There was a New York Times article. Your mom felt that she was told by people that she couldn't do these things. Like she couldn't run the marathon because she would like not be able to have babies. Is that, did she ever tell you about that? Well, that's just like a thing that they told women. I mean, up, up, up until relatively recently, the marathon, Chris was probably not <laughs> <He's more>. laughing. Oh, <laughs> because he knows. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, it's, it's famous incident, Kathy Schweitzer, I think in the 70s, she like bandited the Boston Marathon because women were not allowed to compete. And there's a famous picture of the race director trying to pull her off the course. And there's some guy right with her like fighting him. And then the women's marathon wasn't introduced in the Olympics until 1984. Because they, the, there yeah. was like a medical, that they had told women that their uterus would fall out if they ran too much. Yeah, that, um, that part struck me. I... So we've come a long way since then. Uh, but yes, she it actually didn't realize until recently. She, I, when I grew up, I, growing up, I knew that she was into aerobics. And generally, I was like health aware. But running kind of wasn't the forefront of that. Um, but recently, I've learned that she did run a marathon. Like she kind of got into it. By running a marathon, she ran the Hawaii Marathon in 1975, which was like relatively early on in women running marathons. Like it wasn't much before that that women weren't allowed to, which was kind of like cool. I mean, obviously she didn't go on to become a professional runner, but just a nice like connection with our histories. And yeah, definitely she was pre-Title IX. So Title IX is like the legislation where like making women's sports available to high school and college kids. And before that, I guess. I'm going to, no, no, both of you guys assume that I don't know anything at this point. So it's good for the listeners because maybe they don't. So that's fine. Well, I don't, I don't know. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, but yeah. So when she was growing up, like she was a cheerleader. There just wasn't, there just weren't options because she was born in the fifties. So there's like, it just wasn't an option to, to be in women's sports. 
her path, it was, I think the article probably was about like, in her path, like she was really athletic. And so she became, she kind of like wasn't pioneered the fitness industry, like the fitness industry, or was an early member um, or early figure. And, but for me, I was post title nine. So like I played soccer from the age of five. And so it was very clear to me early on that I also, that I had athletic ability, but I was able to like channel that into more traditional athletic pursuits. Hmm. The end. And uh, did you travel with your dad at all? I did not. I think I just told you that. I don't know if you would read that. <laughs> I, I, well, yes, I have traveled in the past. My dad loves travel. So he didn't always do this, but like kind of relatively recently is like kind of, I don't know, second career, whatever you would call it, basically has gotten into the travel business in Southeast Asia. So he has um, been there for three years now in Cambodia and Vietnam and Thailand, among other places. I haven't visited him though, so uh, that's like my bad daughter thing. But you didn't travel you with him. You've been busy. Yeah. Yeah, you've um, done some things. It's okay. But I have, when we were growing up, he just loves, he loves travel. His Instagram handle is travelman or at travelman or whatever, or that was always his email. I'll put it in the Or like AIM when we were growing up. Um, <laughs> people could follow him. Oh, uh, um, no, yeah. So definitely, like as far as influences, I think uh, it's now that I get to travel with, for running. I have a like an appreciation of going to different places from from him. Does that make sense? I don't know. I don't know. When I go to new places, I enjoy looking at maps and seeing and like locating myself spatially. As far as lear- type of learner, I would say I'm more of a spatial learner. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I love looking at maps too. That's like I'll just stare at maps on the plane ride. I know what you mean. He's yeah. Like, Where am I? I'm like right here. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, let's let's talk about <laughs> running again. Start with high school. I only know your times, and I, I only, all I know from high school from you are are from your Wikipedia page. But you I want. I look at my Wikipedia page. Yeah, yeah, I mean, sure. You, I'm glad that you haven't. That's a good sign. But what, do, you have, do you have a Wikipedia page? <laughs> yes, I do. Wow, finally, finally, I finally have a was Wikipedia page. Was it edited Thanks. in Portland, Oregon? From no. <laughs> <laughs> North Waterfront, Northwest Waterfront? I applied <laughs> to <Dude>. Woody's MacBook. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No I comment. <laughs> can I go edit things on yours? Uh, sure. Well, if you can find something that... You, there's, you'd have to dig pretty deep, though. Okay. High school. You won cross, right? State cross for your division. What did you, division four, SoCal or something like that? Well, state, but yeah, division four. Division four, state. So, so it's state. It's the entire state? Mm-hmm. Or I thought they divide California into different regions. They do, but like at the, if you win state, you win the state. They do have different regions, so like we'll have a regional qualifier first. So you'd have to like I think I won the SoCal Division Four, Southern California region, and then I went to the state meet, and then, but that when the state meet they combine all the regions. Okay, so what I, I guess your crowning achievement, despite winning all that, would be what a two ten, mm-hmm. your fastest time. Mm-hmm. Does that land you a scholarship to Yale? There are no athletic scholarships in Ivy League. Okay. <sighs> Does that land you your place at <laughs> Yale, I should say? It probably helps, yes. I went to Yale to run track. It's an, it kind of, I'm gonna start tripping over my words here. You know, it's so funny, you like bring up all of these past um, insecurities. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I'm brand. 
that's, that's why I'm brand from Game of Thrones. So, <laughs> <the> third <laughs> so yeah, I definitely was better at track. I guess I got third at state in the 800. And in California for track, they actually combine all the regions. So even though it was third, it is like t- relatively a bigger achievement because like combined, I think probably cross country, I want to say it was like would have been 18th or 20th, like amongst all schools that year. But um, in track, it is combined. So it's like a straight final amongst all the schools. So yeah, so my 800 was like relatively better. I got third, I think my sophomore year and then fourth my junior year. And then I was injured. Um, and I was more of a sprinter also. Like I, but I guess it's really hard to get out of the Southern California region with sprinting with like the 400 because uh, people are really good. I don't know. <laughs> I'm fast. <laughs> um, uh, the, you turned out all right. So it's but okay. Yeah. So definitely like then, but it was fun my senior year. Basically, track was more like individually, that's kind of where I was shining more but um, my two best friends were ran cross country and they were the ones that initially pulled me into running um i had to do it for soccer training and had some success some success and they wanted to build a team together and so they i tried to like quit and they would write me notes in math class telling like kind of peer pressuring me into coming out for the team um so i finally because because i was playing club soccer so i couldn't be going to cross-country races um but finally i want to say junior year i flipped over to no more club soccer only i still played varsity soccer through high school but at least i could run like the cross-country season um and we had this like fun kind of cinderella story of a cross-country team where from my freshman year we were like i don't even know seventh in the league very like not even a contender and we i think we made it to state my junior year as a team and then my senior year, we won state as a team, and I won individually. So that was, like, a very fun team experience. And definitely, um, again, even if my track was probably a bigger deal, it was, like, I have – those are, like, still memories that I cherish. <laughs> Good. Uh, no, I know what you mean. Yeah. And then I, I stopped the stuff with Yale. Um, yeah, I went, to, I went to Yale to run. Um, I think I get nervous about that because definitely, like, I talked with the coaches and I was going to go run for them. They don't do scholarships at Ivy Leagues, but, um, I mean, like, they can, they can give you – they have a certain number of spots. But it's an interesting dynamic at Yale. There's, like, maybe at any college where there's kind of, like, looking down on athletes because it's somehow they cheated their way in, even though – there are many different ways to get in, obviously, but I think I still have insecurity about that. That I no, like because I I, I, yeah, I don't know. Um, and I no, because it, everyone uh, it's like assumes that you didn't earn it to yeah. Yeah, I it doesn't it. like assumes that. I mean, I think Woody actually said something exactly like that to me <laughs> once about me. So, it's, it's, <laughs> but at Stanford, fantastic institution, you may have heard of it. We really appreciate and love all athletes. Um, there's no such di- uh, Muggle athlete divide. There's there's are not. You're lying. Uh, there, there's such a high proportion of student athletes, and they're really proud of the fact that they like have the most national championships in h- history or whatever. Mm-hmm. We just passed UCLA, mm. so yeah, a lot of pride in athletics. At Stanford. So fun story. I actually was recruited at Stanford and almost went. That was my official visit with Stanford. Um, and how do you not go to Stanford? 
over Yale. If uh, you're well, gonna now, run. well, again, this is the whole. Now that I understand money and that like you could get scholarships and not pay for things, <laughs> I like don't know what I was thinking. But yeah, I don't know. I want to yeah, get out of California. You're just clueless. She, yeah. she, she didn't realize how great she had in California. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no other fun fact. Well, kind. Of, I don't know. Is I don't my when I was visiting. Is this weird to talk about? Um, Lauren Centrowitz was the person that like was like the roommate of who was recruiting me. But I didn't really realize until like literally I became a professional athlete who she was or like that family. So this really doesn't make any sense either because Lauren's like incredibly. Cool. <laughs> I know she's she awesome. Cool <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh well. Yeah, I, I really, I, I really, we almost be awesome. <laughs> um, it is. So is Stanford. So when when you go to Yale, do you you said you so you went there to run, which is not particularly usual decision like all due respect to Frank Shorter it's not known as athletic powerhouse so when you come onto campus do you see yourself as like running is something that I do but I'm coming here to be a student and that's my future or I'm really passionate about running and like this is my path maybe maybe not beyond college but definitely like my path to like one of my high priorities is to achieve in track and field in college no I did I say I went there to run I mean I definitely I guess I went there with the understanding that I was joining the team, but I didn't choose I didn't choose Yale because it was like a running powerhouse. Um, clearly, yeah, there are so many. Uh, I kind of went there. I mean, I went there because I loved the school and I wanted to. I don't know, have like a full college experience, and I wasn't. Definitely was running. While I knew it was gonna be a priority, it was like it. It wasn't on my mind that oh, I'm gonna go and become like a national player. I, I didn't really think much past like my small framework of oh, okay, you train and you run in your league, and running is something that you do in addition to everything else you do at school. Yeah, and if anything, like when I was being looking at different schools, I at the time when I was in high school, it scared me off of school, of programs that were much more clearly athletically focused, is that I, yeah, wasn't sure if I, I wasn't ready for that commitment. So the picture may be developing, you you played soccer all throughout high school. You um, look obviously very talented and like accompl- and accomplished a lot. Sorry, but- I'm drinking my water, I'm not allowed to. Reset. All right. So, uh, same. Like, would it be fair to say then, like, given you played soccer, given that you were a little intimidated by really aggressive, you know, super serious running programs, that like through high school, kind of being in college, you didn't necessarily like self-identify as a runner. Like, I was on, I was on die stat. It was important to me that I was a runner, and like, I wanted to know about running, and like, that's how I basically just got any social status that I could manage to eke out for myself in high school. But it's sounding like you had maybe some more some you had you had a, a wider personality or like a wider interests than like just being super focused on like this is who like I'm a runner. That actually that's interesting that you say that. Um, You're stealing us question. Uh, sorta yeah no 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 because your mom said this. She said, "I don't think I have the mindset and discipline for what Kate does. I love all kinds of sports, but I don't have the kind of brain that stays." on task to get really good at one thing. I think you have that brain. Even though, like, you didn't have it, you know, when you are 18. I don't know. I Did you always have it, I guess I should ask. 
I've now been asked two questions. I think, okay, but, okay. No, but, but they're related, they're me, related. Me, and you're right. As far as focus toward a goal, no, I did not have that when I was 18. I actually think, but I have a whole other set of things where I probably, I think I probably could have done well to like put off college a little bit. And that I was, I was, it was too much of a generalist. Um, definitely didn't, I didn't associate as a runner, even though I like, it was, definitely helped my self-esteem that I was good at running. It was also like I needed, it was kind of the well-rounded syndrome. Like you need to be the best at ever, or pretty good at everything. And so I needed to also be, yeah, kind of have my hands in many different things. And I, not not needed to, but I wanted to. And I was inter- and just curious, generally curious, I guess. Um, which can be good up to a certain point. And I think it started to, um, backfire for me when I was in college a little bit. Um, I don't know. I was just talking to a friend the other day. Looking back now, I, um, it's. I feel like I was kind of, generally a little bit floundering. Um, like there, you're not. What the whole issue of not being of, of, of saying yes to too much, right? Um, and also that means that you're not like completely focused on one thing like you don't really have like a real goal in mind even when I talk about running like it's kind of embarrassing I don't it's not like I even wanted I didn't I didn't realize the Olympics were a thing until in freshman year I like kind of had a breakout race and I ran 206 at a dual meet against Penn and then I was like oh that's the Olympic standard that means something and I didn't like I didn't realize I just I wasn't goal oriented basically in that way which I think can be it's not like you have to be, but definitely I also feel like I lost time, not just with running, but also with, I don't know, like academics. We're going to go back into all my regrets. <laughs> <laughs> you're, the mo- you're, the most hon- you're the most honest runner I've ever, maybe person, I've ever like interviewed at, at the very it's least. It's also a trick. It can be a kind of, it's a trick if you want to be hiding other things that you can be like honest in areas that you think are generally acceptable to be honest with yeah yeah that's um, on it, record it, everyone's pretty cool with saying yeah when i was 18 i didn't have it all figured out yeah uh, exactly well that's so fair. follow-up question what else you have? <laughs> 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 um, no but what so what other things you talk about having your hands in many pots what other things were you doing in college that's the thing like nothing's nothing nothing of worth in a way like i, I don't know nothing I think, of worth <laughs> i don't know like nothing there's again i think <laughs> It's the syndrome of, I mean, I get it even now, like even with running now that I, like with social media or whatever, I'll be sometimes embarrassed to talk that, of what I'm doing because it's too narrow focused, right? Like it's, it's the idea of being embarrassed that you aren't, that you don't have a multi-line resume. Um, and I think in college, I was like maybe trying to do that somewhat and also probably like failing a little bit. But um, what was I doing? I was like, got, I was an environmental studies major, got pretty involved in, um, or somewhat involved in like some of uh, like environmental education at school. I led freshman outdoor trips um I was from LA so I like never I was also like discovering myself outside of LA um LA is like a weird place to grow up and um I got pretty interested in like this there's these freshman outdoor trips so basically it's like what the orientation for muggles right um and so uh and it was just this really fun crew of people it's kind of like camp, <laughs> camp counselors or Did whatever you say muggles 
I don't know what better people call non-athletes in college. I think I said that originally. Okay. We'll, we'll put that on me. <laughs> okay. um, and so, yeah, a lot of my friends were from this group of foot leaders, kind of like the camp counselor that I never was or something. <laughs> so, so eventually, I mean, eventually, though, like running does go really well for you. You talk about how coming into college, you weren't, you didn't quite feel ready to commit to running as 100% your top priority. And yet, and you have some really great success. You end up fifth senior year in NCAA's in the 800. You run 203, which is which is really really good. Obviously, show the potential of things to come, but not necessarily the kind of thing that's going to have people sponsors banging down your door, offering you a ton of money. But still, you turn pro after that. So clearly, something flipped along the way where you decided. I don't care as much about that kind of outside recognition or that, you know, how much money this makes me or whatever. And you just, this is something I really do want to pursue and really do want to commit to, even if I'm not NCAA champion or whatever, or, you know, being your top three or what have you at, mm-hmm. at NCAA. So was there a moment in there that that solidified for you that actually, no, this is what I want to do with like my whole life? It's, I think it came in stages a little bit. I had an extra semester, so there was only, I basically, January of 2012 was when I was like done and could go join a team. And so the immediate decision was just, I wanted to try for the Olympic trials. Um, Gags had started NJNY, um, maybe a year before um, the New Jersey New York Track Club. <laughs> yeah, for for all the listeners out there, <laughs> but they, uh, yeah. So there was uh, what was what was the difference? Well, first of all, I think anyone who is out, coming out of college, even if you're being offered money, like hopefully you're having a talk with a discussion with yourself. It's hopefully like no one's doing it just for the money, right? Because the money is pretty in this sport, at least, is like um, pretty fleeting or at least like not guaranteed. So I would say that like, I don't know, anyone coming out of college wanting to be a professional athlete should probably have like a pretty like deep love of doing it outside of just like being given a contract. Not should, but usually might. Otherwise you would just go and become a banker or something, right? Uh, But I guess what you're saying is for me, it wasn't like as guaranteed that I would have success. I think probably because of all the things I'm describing about me like being flighty in college is that I knew I hadn't really trained and I had achieved, I hadn't really trained. I, oh, I, I took a semester off um, and went to South America. Like I just like, I kind of just- What? Compared to people, compared to like other elite runners, I was like not on that train. I came, I came back from summers like not training. I didn't run cross country. So I knew that there was a lot to go with like not much of an, like I, I could just tweak a few things and probably improve. And I wanted to see what that would be. Um, but definitely it was a pretty, um, what I visualized was like a pretty short time scale. It was like January, this is a fun thing to do. Literally, this is a fun thing to do with my extra, sorry, I'm just banging on the table, with my extra semester um, until to, to try to make it to the trials. And it was really this one alum, Sarah Lesko, who like came up and almost like accosted me at this d- banquet dinner. Not accosted me, but like was very in my face because she had run at Yale and was like a little bit professionally and basically was like, you have to join Gags' team and you have to see what you can do. And so she, her, her and Bob were the ones that like introduced me to the idea of running post-collegially um, when I was a senior. 
And these are the same Lescos who actually they support or are investors in Guazelle and yeah. they kind of ended up supporting you later in your career as well. Yeah, yeah, they've been like my main mentors. Um, and Bob ran for for Gags. So back, like Gags has been a coach forever, which is like really, which is also really cool. My accountant ran for Gags, uh, or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe not my accountant, but the person I met with yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, and and he was starting a group in New Jersey. He had coached. Or so there was some connection with with Dan Ireland, who was a coach at Yale. So there's just a lot of connections that were like, okay, this is awesome. Um, Ashley Higginson was a Princeton alum. She was running there. So yeah, I moved to New Jersey in January, drove a U-Haul down there, and um, actually, yeah, I came up once, but then I drove, yeah, and just like I'm gonna try this through through the trials. I have so many questions for you. I'm gonna just have one kind of off the off the book. Did everyone take you seriously? based on this past <laughs> of yours, you kind of flighty or whatever. Did everyone take you seriously when you said you wanted to be a programmer? Um, Did it make sense to them? I don't know if anyone's taking anyone that seriously right when they're just out of college. And, and, and it's also, it's like the Olympic thing. When you yeah, say you're you training say the word for the Olympics, Olympics it's, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> If you meet someone on an airplane and, they're, and you're like, oh, what do you do? And you're like, I'm a professional runner. They, the first thing they say with a question, a deep question in their voice is, like the Olympics? <laughs> and if you say yes, they say, wow, that's great. And if you say kind of, they say, uh. <laughs> and like, so it just, it just covers everything. No, it just justifies everything in their minds. Yeah. That's fair. <laughs> Sorry, I just stole your question. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that, that was just me. No one took me, like, no one took me seriously when I said that. Well, you also don't, you don't enunciate yourself very well, so maybe I just didn't understand. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, but, but okay, seriously, I think that the time, it, it's interesting with timing. Like, I want to say if it had been if I had been graduating at a different time and there would have been a bigger lapse before the trials, like I wouldn't have done that, or it very well like wouldn't have worked out that way. Yeah, reason. no, I, I graduated right when the Olympic trials was. I still have no reason to. So, but thank you. Well, then you should maybe just weren't selling yourself the right way. That might be true. You also just you have you're kind of paranoid. You're, you're a bit you have a bit of a, like a Napoleon complex about your running career, and I think maybe you're just projecting on people. Oh, but now we're getting into you, and we want to get back to Kate. So okay, Kate, sorry. speaking of um, well, no, I have no transition for this. When why did you go to South America? Where did you go, and did you enjoy it? I think I just what did I put that in there? Oh, maybe um, I it is kind of a tangent. Why why did I go? I went. To find myself. I don't know. Uh, I told you, I was like flighty in college. I went, I took a semester off of college, went to Chile mostly and did um, like woofing. So basically you work on farms in exchange for food. Yeah. I don't know. What, what, that's Not true. exactly what that is. It's, um, it's like a relative, it's like a cheap way to travel. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I wanted to learn Spanish, um, taking a semester, it, in Ivy's, you can't um, you can't do fifth years, but you if you withdraw from school, then you can like run still, like when you come back. So it would allow me to come back and still run by taking a semester off, not doing a semester abroad. And there was some like personal stuff. Uh, I don't know. Another don't time. Know. What? <laughs> I know. I don't know. I mean, basically, like I my family was. I don't know. I, I, it's so funny. I'm being so like. What? <laughs> just I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> tell your tell your life into no, the no. I mean, what? 
it was after the financial crisis. My family was like hit by the financial crisis, and like I had like kind of a just didn't know what to do with my life situation, and I like wanted to go find myself, and I didn't really find myself there. But it was a cool experience. You found something. I mean, you decided you want to be. <laughs> you decided you want to be a pro runner. That, right. that was at the banquet later with Sarah. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah. In, our, in our neat narrative, not as though anyone ever comes to decisions gradually over time. Yeah. But we want yeah. specific decision points for this. Exactly. Yeah. In the podcast. way that I've like much later created it, that the banquet was the, the turning point. Okay. But okay, what are the cool things? I went to South America. Um, so um, I took a semester off in my junior year of college, and. I don't know. I'd always wanted to, to travel. I kind of knew Spanish. So that would be a fun way to get better at Spanish, I guess. Uh, and my best friend ended up being two best friends at the time. We're like, we kind of came to it at the same time. We all did this. Um, we all took semesters off and went and worked on different farms and then like came together at the end. So this is a really fun trip. And I think having them go helped give me the confidence to do it. Yeah, and I ran while I, while I was down there, like, along the roads, random back roads of farmland in Chile, and it was kind of cool. If, if there was one thing that happened there to do with running, aside from, like, many other life things, that I definitely discovered personally, like, love, or re... Yeah, I kind of, kind of discovered, like, going out for runs by myself, that I really enjoyed it, that it was time, that I... So that it was a part of my life that I, it reaffirmed for me that I wanted this in my life. Yeah, go. Do you have one? No, I'm, I'm, I'm not a, I got writer's block, podcast block. <laughs> Sorry. It's all right. Okay, so one, one theme that I, I'm, I'm superimposing a narrative on your life. That's okay. That's, we, we, do it, we all do it all the time. <laughs> that, 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 that's what Sartre said, so it's fine. Sartre or whatever. You've got a good one. No um, so you decide, you, you, you commit to withdrawing from school for a semester. No, you're going to go back, but you go to South America. Not, that's, you're definitely... You're making a distinctive choice there. And throughout your professional career, you've trained New, York, New, Jersey, New Jersey New York Track Club. You trained with the Wazell Group in uh, Bend. You trained with NorCal Distance, and, and you've trained uh, here now in Portland. I'm told that change is very scary. I don't know. I don't change anything ever. But I think a lot of people have a hard time, even if something isn't right, or if something might be better, like making making a decision to move, making a decision to change their lives in, in those kinds of ways. Is there anything is there anything that helped you be able to, you think, make all of those changes? I presume that you know each of them had their different reasons, but was there anything that helped you be able to make all those changes, you think, and then you know deal with the fallout? I'm sure, I'm sure like a lot of people, you know, a lot of times there was no fallout, it was all upside, but sometimes you, know, you have to say goodbye to people or move on from things you like. like how, how did you conceptualize like making those changes over you know, over a period of time? No, there definitely is fallout. It's interesting. And I've been thinking about that recently based on the fact that I just moved here and I'm currently dealing with change, I guess, and why this system has worked for me when it's like maybe not the norm. I have my own thoughts on whether or not that it's true that it's not the norm. But that said, I definitely have moved around quite a bit. And I think Part of it was that while location is changing, that I have a pretty strong like foundation for me, I guess like what basic family that would be a foundation that does not change, that is like um, and having that and the more in a way, like the more that I've gone after college and kind of got friends, family advisors that like, 
go with me throughout, then it's like those things actually, there is like a lot of constant. And um, coaches, like past coaches even, um, even like my high school, my college coach, my high school coach as well, actually, but my college coach, when I, like when I went to gags and then later on down the line, like I will talk to people and they are still remain like very important parts of my life. Uh, and I think through that, it lessens the impact of the difference because then it's just like just your location that's changing. It's not a lot, like a lot of like the base parts of your life aren't. And then um, uh, what, what else do I, 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 I'm like losing track of what else was part of your question or what, what the other part It of was question. a very vague and meandering question, but I think you answered it great. But I, I mean, I do think there is, uh, you know, they do research on like should people, when people are like trying to make a decision on whether they should change, make a change. And there was one experiment where they just had him flip a coin. Mm-hmm. And if it, was he- if it was heads, they made the change. If it was tails, they didn't. And the people who got heads were happier. And kind of the conclusion they drew is that most people are really afraid of like making a change in their life. And if they're already thinking about it and they're already conflicted, they should just do it. But like, I think a lot of people don't. A lot of people just kind of continue to go on the same path that they've sort of always been on. But obviously your, your path has gone many different places. Which I think is, it, I think is perhaps somewhat unique, even if you want to acknowledge it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, I think it's. I don't know why I'm thinking about this a lot, but maybe because again, I'm thinking about this a lot recently because I just changed again. But I, um, yeah, bold. The one thing that I remember from my senior year was like we were in this kind of seminar, and my, like the one of the friends who I really looked up to, his like main thing about life was bold and decisive action and you need to take bold and decisive action with your life and I think especially in running there's like a very small amount of time it's like very clear that there's an end point um with your career yeah it's I think there is something to be said for um like just clearing your path uh what what, what yeah for for they're not being time to dally with with questions and not that everything um more so with running and maybe even more so because of my history that like i didn't really become aware of my seriousness i was dedicated like i did spend a lot of time on running in college even if i didn't admit it which maybe is another one of my problems is like i need i needed that in the background but i didn't want to like go all in in a way so then i kind of went to the opposite um and just I guess what in, admitted to going all in. Um, there's even less time then because you have like yeah. I'm already out of college. I haven't. Um, beautiful. <laughs> there. I know that this is only going to be four. Like, at first, it was okay. This is going to be four year thing. Like yeah, I need to develop as a runner. Like oh maybe what I would have started developing. Someone else might have started this process of learning about running and learning about what they need as a runner like back in high school and like I need to do it starting now and so there's like a shortened time so even more so in that case if I know something's off I need to like address it and I can't it's not they don't have years to wait if that makes sense you mentioned in the Sidious Mag interview when you were talking about your injuries uh, you, you said for the for the Olympics for the year coming up to the 2016 Olympics, you had to PR every race, and you just kept getting faster and faster. You you were coming back from injury in 2015, right? In interviews, you said your confidence was higher than ever. Yeah, I mean, I think that there are many, like many ways, obviously, injury situations. But the way it worked for me is I took a long period. I put up almost six, five four months off in early 2015. 
and then I moved to uh, I moved to Sacramento that, that July and basically started um, start you want to start I, I, over <laughs> sorry I'm, I'm flustered I had some of his beer out there so that's nothing else so I'm burping I'm sorry um, I did you just beer. chug a beer no I had a sip of beer okay so coming back from injury obviously like there are many different situations right and so I think I was lucky in the sense that I didn't have a relapse and that um but lucky and but I was injured the injury happened in January 2015 and basically I wasn't running until like May of that year um very very like slow comeback um I moved to Sacramento July to join a NorCal distance project I think from there it was just there was just a slow build of momentum one that I hadn't had um like really since the beginning of my pro career um and there are multiple things uh that I would say at, like went into that but part of it was just like all kind of a little bit getting my head on straight or just realizing that I couldn't mess around anymore like this was the time if I was going to do anything I was going to try to make the Olympics and um I all of the like stuff that I get nervous about with me being a little bit flaky or not being a super serious, like doing all the small things. Um, part of me going to Sacramento was that I knew that Drew was known for being a hard ass about that stuff and to make and, and, the, and the team culture was very much like one that you what that you act like the champion that you are or that you are not yet. Um, and so I went. I was all in on like joining joining this culture, becoming the person that I wanted to be, or athlete that I wanted to be, but like was scared that I wasn't, I guess, um, which is like a dedicated athlete or like a pro athlete maybe. Yeah, and, and it and it was working, and so I like I had a, a string on un, uninterrupted training. I didn't get sick, and then starting that January, I was I was back running indoor races, and every, maybe every race wasn't a PR that year, but like. I've kept running well. You had some consistency. Yeah, consistency and like good results. And I was like winning or com- competitive in all my races. Yeah, so that like that momentum definitely drove me. And I think then because I had that momentum, the added like fire of having come back from an injury was just this like incredible. I don't know. I just felt like I was so mentally strong because it was like I I'd gotten through the injuries suck. Obviously, we all know that. Like I'd gotten through like the drudgery of just like wanting to quit and not thinking that I couldn't make it back and because I'd gotten through that like I could get through anything and I think also and final thing is that in that period when I was injured I definitely felt of any of the times that I felt most like alone in my running career that was then I think mostly because it's like the people that I had the people that I had up until that point relied on to give me my confidence the people who have been like oh yes you can do this like you're made for that you know there's always people in your life that like blow that smoke up your ass, right? Um, and, I mean, not really, but kind of. <laughs> they like, believe in you. Yeah, yeah believe in yeah. Those <laughs> well, people? Yeah, but yeah. But <laughs> those people are very important, right? Those are very important people. But up up until that point, I had a, I'd had those people. And then when I was injured this time, I felt like it was faltering. Like I was at the point in my career that it was just, it's not even anything necessarily that like they were saying all the right things or they were giving me my space, but it's like they weren't there like pushing me on anymore. And so that was my like major 
again, in my pretty narrative that I made for myself, that was my major reckoning that spring in 2015. And it was like, there's no one pushing me to do this. Like, do I want to do this or not? And so that's like, as far as me, yeah. And like, my answer was yes. And I wanted to do it. And then again, I moved to Sacramento and I like went all in and then it was giving me returns. And so that just started building on itself. Yeah, it's, it's interesting that you talk about like how, what other people say. Uh, I mean, obviously like no one, everyone wants to see the best for their friends and mm-hmm. family members and whatever, but, and most people say the right things. It's very mm-hmm. rare that someone says like, hey, should you stop? Mm-hmm. But they also, people aren't as good at putting on a face as they think they are. And sometimes you can like see the doubt a little bit where they're just like, maybe you'd be happier if you weren't trying to do this anymore. No, I, like, I want this for me, and I, I still think I can do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, you know, those people, just, they just want you to be happy. But I think it, it is kind of an important thing to realize. Like, w- I think what's going to make me happy is pursuing this, and, like, I'm doing it for me. Yeah. No, exactly. And I think, yeah, back to even why I went out of college, like, I would say a lot of the reason of me continuing was also from other people, in addition to myself. Um, yeah, and it started to switch. Then we talked about earlier coming in, I asked what race changed your life the most. It was actually post-injury about two years ago. One year ago now. What is it, 2017, 2018? It's 2017 still. Okay. (laughs) 2017, you come back from injury and you win USA's to make the Olympic team. Do you want to just take us through that? I meant to talk to you about this before but we can do it now. I feel like this is always a really awkward race to talk about, but we can totally do it if we you want. We can talk about a different race. Well, it, it's a very, it's a, to set it up, it is, it's an awkward race because some people fell. Yeah. Oh, uh, yes. But, 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 but only like two and you won, so <laughs> if you the count most, back, the, you definitely, most, you're still top three. Right you're still top three. The <laughs> most, <laughs> yeah, it's what it is. The most awkward part of it is you, you said in an interview that you knew that the inside would open up somehow, and it, like it did open up. You had faith that it would open up, but not the way you, you thought it would, obviously. Yes. So well, I think that's kind of awkward, personally. Is, is that a, I, I don't know if I would think that, that was knew. the awkward part. The fix was in. No, no <laughs> actually, well, okay, so there's multiple things. Yes. That's not what I was implying. <laughs> um, no, I mean, again, it's a weird race because there is like a lot of, like, the way it ended up with me winning that race, there's a lot of luck involved in that. Or there's just, like, a lot of, like, happenstance. And it's kind of, it's crazy. And it's also very sad because, like, again, back to going to college, like, Alicia was in, was at Cal when I was looking at Cal. Like, she was a meant as far as an 800-meter runner growing up in California. Like, she was from SoCal. Like, looked up to her my whole life. Now, before Kate gets too into it, let me take you back to the race she's talking about. This is the 2016 U.S. Olympic Trials. And they're on their way. The 800-meter final. A lot will be determined by who wants to grab that lead. We're used to seeing Montano go to the lead, but Wilson's been running with such confidence she may choose to lead. They'll break out of their lanes as they head down the backstretch, and it's Ray Raven Rogers, the Oregon Duck, that takes the lead with Montano and Wilson on her heels, second and third. And now Montagna goes into the lead. You know, Rogers said she's got nothing to lose in this race. She's the youngster at 19, but she does have ambitions beyond being the one who just got here because she's sharp and ready to run. Montano, Rogers, Wilson, and Ludlow. Top four, Martinez now swings to the outside to come join the leaders. 
Here's the final lap about to unfold. Montano in front. Rogers second. Wilson third. Then Ludlow and Martinez. A very, very fast first lap. And the question is, can Montano maintain this? It's odd. She's running on the outside of that lane. Never really seen that done. If you're going to lead, why not run the shortest distance on the inside? Here comes Wilson to take over second place. Look and at, Martinez on the move, too. Look at the composure of Wilson. So much within herself, ready to make a move and to try to blunt the move of Martinez, who we expect to go with 200. And Rogers came back to pass Montano as Wilson leads Martinez. And now a trip and a fall. Race continues, of course, with Wilson now in front. Kate Grace comes alongside in second. Rogers is in third, then Ludlow. And it is Grace that takes over the lead. Here comes Ludlow on the outside. Grace is there, coming for the line. It'll be Grace to win it. Looked like Wilson third, or second, excuse me, and third. Christina Williams, I believe, got the third spot, and Montano tripping and falling in the turn for home. Well, and she ended up pushing Brenda Martinez. I'm sure not on purpose, but... A fast first lap set up a difficult second lap. As you see, Montano, who had been leading was in fourth place, ready to charge. Kate Grace on the inside with nowhere to go. And it looks as if Brenda Martinez got her foot clipped. She started staggering, which led to Montano going down. Not sure there's a foul of any kind there, although you can imagine that protests will be lodged. Wilson seemed poised to run away with the race, and then it was Kate Grace who came off the turn and ran by everybody. Remember, we talked about the strength that Grace has as a 1,500-meter runner. Wilson has been working on her strength, but just had nothing left in that last 100 to respond to Grace. And it looks like Ludlow once again got fourth place. Grace so confident, you know, she had to make a choice between the 800 and the 1500. Her intuition told her, choose the 800. Her coach, Drew Wartenberg, said, I'm not going to mess with intuition, not a woman's intuition. I'm going with that. And Grace was right. Having people that you look up to fall in a race, like you never want that for people. And or not even fall, like be impeded. Like Molly was impeded. Molly was running so well that year. There was a lot of, yeah, I don't know. It's the, the, the one thing I've learned, we all know, is that track is a small world. You become friends with your competitors. So there's that. It also, so the question of me winning that race is just, it's just a strange one. But like, as far as me making the team, the, the, it definitely, like, no question that race changed my life. Um, and uh, how much did you see? This, this is interesting for me because, I mean, I don't know if you know this, but Woody and I were not Olympians. <laughs> We've only ever been on the other side of that equation. You were and, closer than me, though. Uh, so I've been the guy like waiting and drug testing when like all the people who made the team come through kind of mm -hmm. thing like from the other end and obviously it was a very emotional race like how much interaction did you have with like some people who didn't make the team or maybe like fell or were impeded like after the race and like what was it like to 
I don't know, to be in such a, like, an amazing place where you're so happy with what's happened to you and to then to see maybe someone who's, like, your friend going mm-hmm. through the opposite? Um, I think probably because there was, like, a lot of confusion. I actually didn't see anyone right afterwards. I didn't see anyone except for the three of us who were doing our, like, lap. So it wasn't, yeah, um, there wasn't, like, a direct um, gut wrench right then. I... And even after the fact, yeah, I you kind of like reach out to people personally on a on a personal level, but okay. but not in person right there. Uh, it wasn't it wasn't really until I saw the um, video of the race later that night or the next day that I really realized like kind of how emotional it had been because you're not. I mean, obviously you can't see what's going on behind you. Yeah. So so what are your thought processes in that final lap, or even the final two hundred one fifty? Can you remember it, or is it all is it all just like a haze, and you've like kind of narrated what you think it you were thinking, but a you don't really bit. remember? I mean, kind of. I, it's I would say the big it was just, it was surprising. The end was surprising because I definitely I would say that I've never been so confident going into a race like mentally. I, I was doing I, another thing I did that year was a lot of like mental work that I hadn't done before. And I was working with a sports psych. I, I, I had always thought that, I, that that was something I was good at um, and didn't realize that, that there's a spectrum and you can actually get better at that just like you can get better at anything else. Um, but I had never been, like, confident in that way. And I definitely, in the hours leading up to it, I visualized it so many different ways. And the visual of having, like, no one there the last 100, but that was surprising. Uh, and so I definitely, that's the one thing I remember is I look, looked up at the board to see what was going on because it was like, where is everybody in a way? Um, that's, yeah. And so that was my one memory, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. You talk about working with the sports psych. Uh, I feel like you, for observing from afar, uh, you have like a very specific routine that you go through before the race, like feet up, headphones in, towel over the face or whatever maybe this was one meet i saw and you've never done it ever again but is that like is that something that you do and like what is what's the purpose of that routine like what headspace are you trying to get into explain your headspace to us um yeah i do i do it developed over that year and basically at this point it's like 30 minutes before i start my physical like my like rolling warm-up i'll start my like kind of um I guess it's a meditation. I don't know. I basically do a meditation tape. Um, so it's this random one that my mom gave me, and it's like a 20-minute tape. It's called Releasing Negativity. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's this tape I do. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I guess that... It, the, 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 it's developed. It used to be I used to listen to music, and then I want to say when I... I think maybe actually when I started doing stuff in Rio or stuff where I had to have, like, a longer time at the track, and I basically just needed to fill that time. And I hate looking at my phone on... Like, I don't want to, like, look at social media. I'm too nervous. So that's maybe how it started. I was, like, laying down, but then you... I can't sleep. So I, I listened to a guided meditation for 20 minutes. Um, and now, again, making, like creating a purpose for it maybe it's like after the fact but the idea I like the idea of like kind of clearing your mind and being at your most still and calm and that is your place to then like have your fierce like your like fierce racing instincts come from that it's what's the thing about the lion has to be the most still and then also like when when you're still you're very still and then when you're like 
I don't know, hunting, you're in your hunting mode. But I, I mess, there's some quote about this. No, I, I, it's on the tip of your tongue. Do you know it, CD? No. no. <laughs> anyway. Not to animal husbandry. <laughs> I, I, I'll email you the quote afterwards. It's a stupid quote. Basically, it's just like meditation. But yes, I have a very specific routine. And I think if anything, it, um, maybe everyone does this, but like, I feel like I can, sw- I, like, I switch into um, where I might be more like f- uh, go with the flow personality, other type of parts of the, whatever my life in the hours and days before races, like my personality switches and definitely, definitely in like the hours before races, like I have every five minutes kind of scheduled, which is a way to make me relaxed, but I know what I'm doing and that meditation is part of it. I, I can speak from personal experience that you're much more intimidating in the hours before a race than <laughs> in general other parts in in life. Um, okay, we have last question. Let's close it up. All right, last question. Woody's falling asleep. Woody's, Woody's bored. <laughs> Quite the um, opposite. Go ahead. So uh, a friend of, of Jerry's had his kids really good, and he uh, he was like deciding where to go to school, and his his dad was an Ivy leaguer, and he he wanted him to go to like an Ivy League school. And his point was that if you go to an Ivy League school and you're a really good runner. Like if you go to Stanford, you know, they have so, it's such a good program, so many All-Americans, fact check, true, um, <laughs> that you'll just be another one in the, in, the, in the chain, in the machine, as we call it. Mm-hmm. But if you go to the Ivy League school and you just like win heps, say, five times, like you did, then you're a legend forever. And you like, you'll, you'll be honored at the school and you know, the donors will throw money at you. So my question is, one, what is it like being a legend? And two, how many like, secret <laughs> job offers did you get after winning HEPs? Like, what sort of uh, really like rooms with leather-bound books and rich mahogany did you sip fine scotches in uh, as a reward for your, for your prowess? So it's not uh, if you're a legend, or are you a legend? I think, it's, it's, I think it's pretty clear. Yeah. It is a good point. There's like a big fish in small pond thing. Whereas at Stanford, there's just so many of you. <laughs> is there like a secret handshake? Like, is there a, a bank account in the Cayman Islands? Like, what's the what's the scoop? If I tell you, I have to kill you. <laughs> All right, that's fair. Okay. Not, not that people listen to this podcast. Anyway. You can just tell us. No. Um, that would be it. That's all I need. As always, thank you, Sidious, for putting on the podcast. And to finish on a high note, here's Kate, moments after she qualified for the Olympics. Let's go to Lewis. All right, Tom, thank you very much. Well, Kate, you missed all of last year with a foot injury. Imagine this moment now where you've come back and you're heading to Rio as an Olympian. It's surreal. It's surreal right now. Um, I've never I've never podiumed in a national event, in high school or in college or in the pros. I've been doing this for so long, and I knew this was coming, and I have so many people here that I love. And it's like only because of them that I, I don't know, that I was able to go to, 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 to do it for this long. I, I'm in shock right now. Well, it's happened. It's real. And we're going to see you in Rio, okay? Isaac, we've been watching you since you were high.